grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. on the suffering and death of our Lord, or another way to put it, we focus today on justification. Our first lesson for this third Sunday in Lent is found recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. The entire Israelite community set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. As the Lord had commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people quarreled again with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why are you quarreling with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were thirsty for water there, so they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us up out of Egypt to let us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go in front of the people and take the elders of Israel with you. Also take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Watch me. I will stand there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. You are to strike the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did that in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. St. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces patient endurance, and patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For at the appointed time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It is very rare indeed that someone will die for a righteous person. Perhaps someone might actually go so far as to die for a person who has been good to him. But God showed his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning at the fifth verse. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the piece of land Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Then Jesus, 
being tired from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which makes it 12 noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, she said, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his animals. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Rather, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water, bubbling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water, the woman said to him, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back here. I have no husband, the woman answered. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say, I have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not even your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews insist that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and, it is, and is now here when the real worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For those are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he, the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. I will read these words once again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces patient endurance, and patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For at the appointed time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. It is very rare, while it is rare, 
indeed, that someone will die for a righteous person. Perhaps someone might actually go so far as to die for a person who has been good to him. But God showed his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what really makes a good or bad sermon? I would always say the first thing has to be that the preacher be faithful to God's word and the preaching of that word. But besides that, what really makes a good or bad sermon? I've had it all numerous times where as I'm greeting people, they will say, Pastor, boy, that sermon really hit me. That meant a lot to me. Thank you so much. And then I've had maybe just a couple rules later, someone say, Pastor, that sermon really didn't do anything for me. So who do you listen to? Well, pick the one who complimented you would be the first thing to think of. But in all seriousness, isn't whether a sermon is good or bad finally in the eye of the beholder? And I've always looked at when it came to preaching a sermon, that it wasn't my goal to try to put out the best sermon possible that's going to really wow everyone. But when I grew up hearing my parents, I've always wanted to be the kind of preacher who didn't preach over people's heads. I've always felt it sad if someone would walk out and say, yeah, I didn't get anything you said there. And preaching over someone's head is real easy to do. Just start coming up with big words. How about words like justification, righteousness, sanctification? We've heard these words millions of times, but do we always understand what they mean and, and the significance of that? Because these are all Bible teachings. In fact, justification, righteousness, and sanctification are the three main words in the entire letter to the Romans. Justification and righteousness makes up about three quarters or two-thirds of the letter to the Romans. Sanctification, which deals with Christian living, Paul doesn't actually start talking about till chapter 12. So our chapter 5 of Romans here falls under that area of justification and righteousness. So what is your definition of justification? If I would ask you to put into one sentence, maybe two, what would you say? Keep in mind that all these words that we find in the Bible are so often picture words. The word justification is actually a legal term. And we always say we use it in the forensic sense, of always in the sense of a judge declaring his verdict. So as soon as you hear the word justification, I pray that you think of a courtroom. And God is the judge, and you are the defendant. And God is now asking you, what is your verdict? Are you guilty or not guilty, or not your verdict? What is your plea? Are you going to plead guilty or not guilty? And yet the law, which shows you your sins, says that you're guilty. You have broken the law. Even if you've broken it just once, even if you've broken it just a little bit, you have broken God's law. 
In fact, the word of one who breaks God's law, the word used is sinner, which means to miss the mark. It's like, a, it's like an archer's term. The arrow must hit the bullseye every time. Even if you miss it a lot, even if you miss it by a little, you've missed the mark. You have sinned. He even describes sinner here's, sinners as one who is helpless, powerless, one who doesn't have the strength to come to God and certainly doesn't have the free will. He even describes Paul here that the sinner is someone who is ungodly. And if you're ungodly, that it leads to actual sins and it leads to wickedness. If you're ungodly, guess who your God is? Your own sinful self. So, here you stand before God, and what are you going to plea? And no excuse in all the world will be able to overturn God's law of perfect love. You have no choice but to plea guilty. I deserve the punishment of God's wrath and the punishment of being separated from God forever in hell. Guilty. And now what is the verdict of the judge? Not guilty. Why? Is it because our, our, our judge is a wishy-washy judge? Is it because our judge doesn't care about justice? Oh, no, he definitely cares about justice because God is just and right and righteous. So why would he declare us not guilty? Because our very God, our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human flesh and paid the debt for us, suffered the punishment for us. And because of that payment, you and I are declared justified, not guilty, forgiven. We are declared righteous. Not because we've been right and righteous and perfect and holy, but because he has been righteous. In fact, we, we describe the whole act of salvation in, in these words, with the words of Jesus' active and passive righteousness. Active righteousness is Jesus keeping the law perfectly for us. And that righteousness is credited to us through faith. His passive righteousness means that he went to the cross and, and, and endured the punishment. And he did this all for us. Not just in our behalf, but in our place. And therefore we speak of justification as God declaring us not guilty, forgiven, right in his sight. And we call this kind of justification, universal justification, because he paid for the sins of everyone. We also call it general justification. Some will even use the term objective justification, because God did all the work, and he's just declaring us the results. But we also understand, as Paul writes here, that we also have subjective justification. And... Objective deals without what God has done. Subjective now deals within. Because he says here, since you have been justified 
by faith. So subjective justification is faith comes in. He won the gift for everyone, but it is personally yours by faith, through faith. And this faith is even a gift of God. For it is the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, always testifying of Christ, always working through that gospel as it's found in the Holy Word and as it's used in the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. This is the Holy Spirit who calls us to faith. So justification is God declaring you and me not guilty, forgiven, innocent, justified by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's justification. And now Paul tells us what that really personally means for us. Now that you've been declared not guilty, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer by nature God's enemy. Sins have been paid for. We have peace with God. Peace means there's no more war. Here sin separated us from God. And what did God's justification do for us? Declaring us not guilty of our sins because he paid the price? It means we no longer live under the fear that we have some angry judge and God out to get us and condemn us because he hates us. But we have peace because we are children of God saved by the Lord. And along with that peace, you have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You have access, direct access. Once again, sin separated us from God. And to hear that because we are justified, declared not guilty of our sins, we have now access into his grace, into that undeserved love of God, that grace that is seen not just merely God saying, I love you, but seen in the fact that this is the God who gave his life and won for me forgiveness is also the same God who has blessed me with the gift of heaven itself. We have access to God and along with it, hope. Hope. We rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. And this is not hope in the sense of wishful thinking. This is hope that is confident and hope that is guaranteed. And it's hope for the glory of God. The word glory can also be translated as the word approval or the word favor. You've heard me say thousands of times that none of us can earn God's favor. And we can't earn God's favor because we're sinners who have fallen short of that glory and favor. But here Paul gives us another reason why we can't earn God's favor. Because we already have it. It's been earned for us. Because of justification. Because God has declared us not guilty of our sins. And this we rejoice in. The word literally means to boast. This is what we brag and boast about. We don't boast in, a, in ourselves. 
of eternity, knowing that through faith in Jesus, our eternity doesn't start when we die. It starts now, because we know there's life after death. This is our hope. This is our assurance. This is what we rejoice in. And now let's apply these words to like the term self-esteem. Because everyone's looking for self-esteem. Counselors are packed with people that are just yearning for self-esteem. But when self-esteem, the emphasis is put on self, it's not surprising that people are lost and can't find it. Because if you look deep within yourself, what are you going to find? One who is a sinner, one who is helpless, one who is ungodly, one who has not earned God's favor and doesn't deserve it. So self-esteem is never itself. But a good self-esteem is in what I would call Christ-esteem. It's found in the fact that we are justified, declared not guilty of our sins, all by the grace and mercy of our God, and through faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where self-esteem must focus on. This is the hope. This is the comfort. This is the joy that we have, and especially the joy we have even in the face of suffering. The Apostle Paul writes here, we rejoice even in our we rejoice confidently in our sufferings. Now that in and of itself seems very strange. How can you be happy that you're suffering? And the word suffering literally means to put pressure on. And it can come in any different form. Anything that really crushes you and, and puts pressure on you. And it sounds like if you put pressure on it, well, that's going to give you a headache. Oh, and it's worse than that. No matter what form suffering takes, why would anyone begin to even write, rejoice? If you see suffering as simply bad and evil, yes, these words make absolutely no sense. But if you understand that God works out all things for good, that he never tempts us beyond what we can bear, that the Lord Jesus even said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, then suffering is good. And we rejoice, knowing especially, and don't we even say this to each other, that when it comes to suffering, God brings me closer to him. Paul explains what that means. He explains how that works. He says here, that because we know that suffering produces patient endurance. That in the face of suffering, if God's using it for good, one of the good is this patient endurance. This, this idea is, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not going to give up. No matter how bad the suffering may be, I know God is in control. I trust in him above all things, knowing that he'll never give me more. And then even provides a way out. And the greatest out is going to be even heaven itself. And this patient endurance produces tested character. As sinful human beings, my character is weak 
and immature. But he even uses suffering to test that character and to have a character that's tried and tested. And a tested character produces hope. We come full circle again. We come back to that word hope. Hope in all that he has done for us. In fact, he describes the hope this way. And hope will not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit working in your heart through the word. Always pointing us to Christ. Even strengthening our faith in Jesus Christ pours out God's love into our heart. This is the same word love in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is a love that does something. A love that is unending, never failing. And this is the love that we live with. This is the love that is our confidence as we live each moment of every day, even in the light suffering. We would certainly say suffering is never good. But if God's going to use it for good, not even suffering do we have to fear. And above all, knowing that God has justified us, declared us not guilty of our sins, declared us forgiven, we know that no matter what form suffering may come in, God is not here to condemn us. Therefore, we look at every suffering as if God's out to get us. No, we see it, God using it for a greater good. And when it comes to the strengthening of my faith, which clings to hope, that is the greatest good. My dear friends, you are justified, declared not guilty. You are forgiven. None of us deserve it, but by God's grace, it's been poured out upon us by that declaration called justification. Rejoice in God's gift and God's teaching called justification. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.